John, the fourth chapter, if you will, in your Bible, talking about being on a mission and not, you know, on a mission overseas, but being on a mission here. John 4, and I'm going to kind of jump through these verses a little bit, and we'll begin in verse 6. It says this, now Jacob's well was there. Uh, Jesus being, or uh, Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And so Jesus is at this well. This is like a community well that people would go, you know, next door, or we have a place called Water and Ice, so people go there to get water, you know. This kind of like that, you know, but people go there, come and go. These wells are set there for people. I mean, you know, people flock there. And, and so he's there, and um, there's a woman that shows up too. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9, then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This was a kind of a strange encounter with Jesus. And we know that Jesus gave his disciples instructions, don't go to certain places. We're only at this present time to go to the Jewish people. And Jesus is having a conversation with the person who's literally considered to be unclean and not a true worshiper. And under the Jewish law, you just didn't do that. And so here he is talking with her and and she's, you know, this, this scenario goes down. Verse 10 said, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He said, if you would have known the gift... And if you would have known who was talking, you would have asked. And instead of me asking you for water, natural water, you would have asked for this spiritual drink, this gift. And notice this. And she would have got this living water. You would have asked, and he would have given you living water. That is the gift, eternal life living water. And notice verse 11. It said, the woman said, sir, at least she was polite about it. Notice the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? She's totally thinking on natural terms. But notice verse, verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up 
unto everlasting life. In other words, here is some living water. This is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about this natural drink. And verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may uh, not thirst nor come here to draw. It's interesting how this woman is mixing and blending the natural side of life and the spiritual thing. She's just not seen. She didn't know who it was who was talking. She didn't know the gift. And he's trying to explain, and she's not getting it. Because she's thinking, man, I'll never have to do work again. How many people think that when they get saved? If I get saved, I don't have to do nothing again. God will just bless me. Because <laughs> he's into blessing people. I never have to do anything. See, people still do that today. You know, oh, prosperity. I don't have to do anything, and I'll just be blessed. No, whatever you set your hand to will prosper. But there's a natural side and a spiritual side, and she's got these things messed up. And she's thinking, this is a good invitation. This is awesome. I just won't have to do anything. I'm going to just kick back. But notice, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, or you've answered right, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one who you're with now, uh, or you now have, is not your husband, in that you speak truly. In other words, You've been with five people. You've been married five times. Now you're just living with somebody. And it's interesting, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I would perceive that too. (laughs) You know some. You've been watching me? No, he he had never met her or nothing. And uh, it's interesting that the, these one-on-one encounters. And we're talking about being on a mission, and here is a major truth about every Christian. Every person, saved or not, God wants to have one-on-one encounters with them. He wants them to encounter Him in a real way, where you don't think, is that Him or not? And so they start having, she starts having a spiritual encounter. He's trying to get her connected. She's thinking natural, and all of a sudden, wham. Now skip down to verse 28. It says this, the woman, now we're kind of jumping over because she started asking some questions and different things. Verse 28 says, then the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city And said to the man. Now remember he said go get your family. She's having a one-on-one encounter. She's been so now touched and influenced. She doesn't just go back to get the guy she's with. She goes and starts telling all the men of the city. I bet the men of the city knew her. First of all. She's doing something that's inappropriate for the time. We know that the time we live in, it's totally 
accepted, but it's not right for people to sleep together outside of marriage. I mean, it's just all over the place. But Jesus said before he came, it would be like that. And so back then, though, this was so foreign. I mean, people are looking going, you know, we know you. And she's saying, hey, uh, this guy where I went, he tells you, he told me everything about me. They're probably thinking, whoa, we know quite a bit. He said, come and check it out. Notice what it said. Verse 29, come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Here's the thing. I find it interesting and pretty cool that Jesus didn't condemn her, for one. She still had an encounter with the Lord. He offered her living water. He basically, maybe he already knew where she was at and said, you could be satisfied finally in life if you would partake of what I have to offer. Then he starts telling her things and about her life secrets and things like that. And we know the Bible said that God will do stuff like that so that the secrets of people's hearts would be revealed so that they would know God is in that place and people would come to worship God. Well, she starts having this encounter. It's just a one-on-one. And she takes off and goes and starts telling people. And it's so interesting that she said, hey, they've, he told me everything. I think, I think I found the Messiah. I think I found the Savior. I think I found the one. Notice verse 30. Then they went out of the city and came to him. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, actually what happened was, there was a time when they were gone, and as they're coming back, the disciples said, hey, Jesus... You need something to eat, you know. You know they had gone into town to get it, and Jesus makes this response. He said, "Jesus said to them, to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. That is the will of God for me to do his work, and it brings sustenance to my life." It's interesting through this whole story here. He talks about living water being satisfied, never thirsting again, and then also talked about himself having something to eat too. Here is something about the mission we're all on as believers. God wants all of us to constantly drink. God wants us to constantly all eat, not just of natural things, but of spiritual things. He has said it in such a way that he doesn't want you to be weak He wants you to constantly be feasting on him and his goodness and what he has paid for. Why is that? We're going to look in a minute because it really does make a difference when we go out to do our mission. Matter of fact, through our tasting, our seeing, our eating, our partaking, that is what we should be sharing with the world. Come and see. You can eat, you can be satisfied, you can be filled, you can have whatever you need in this life. It's in the Savior, and you'll never thirst again. 
We're called to, the Bible said in Matthew, the 10th chapter, he said, freely you have received, freely give. And so God wants all of his people to not just be givers and not just be sharers, but he wants his people to partake. Notice this in Ephesians, the first chapter. Partaking. Everybody needs to. Every believer should. But I think there's a couple of things we need to look at when we talk about partaking, receiving from the Lord, walking with the Lord. Because some people get some different ideas about this. And this woman was, in many people's eyes, not really good. Matter of fact, she would not be accepted she could technically, under the Jewish law, be stoned. She didn't personally measure up on her own to be receiving from the Lord, is what I'm saying. You with me? And so Ephesians, the first chapter, we're talking about us as believers. Every believer should be drinking, partaking, of all the things God has for them. But I want to read Ephesians 1, verse 6. It's actually in a wonderful setting of verses where it talks about all these great things the Lord has for us. But notice verse 6. Actually, we'll go back to verse 5. Having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ... To himself. Through Jesus, we get saved. We become his children according to the good pleasure of his will. You might have got saved because you thought, hey, this helps me not to go to hell. My, my, my life is miserable. And so I want something to change. So you gave your life to the Lord. But in all reality, this was his good pleasure. Getting you to come to him was his good pleasure. He had this set in order. This was something he designed. He wanted you to walk with him. He wanted you, while you were a sinner, to come to him. It was his good pleasure that he set this plan up, and he did it for the worst people we know, too. But it's interesting, verse 6 always comes after verse 5. Notice, it was of the good pleasure of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made, notice, by which He, by which He, not by which you, but by which he, this is talking about him and what he did, not what you're doing. This is about what he did. Now, what are we talking about? Everybody should be partaking. Everybody should, who's a believer should be receiving of the Lord. Notice verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which, by his grace... By His grace, He did this. He made us. He made us. By His grace, 
He made us, his believers. He made you. Somebody said, just keep reading. No, I'm preaching. You're listening. People need to understand this. It was by his grace or his working, and it was his good pleasure to do this. He did this, not you. He made you and me accepted in the beloved. It's important to know he made you accepted. You don't make yourself accepted. How many people have had seen a group of people and they thought, I'd like to hang around with them. I wonder what I need to do to be accepted by them, that group, those people. You see it in youth all the time and in different people. Well, maybe I need to wear a dress like this. Maybe I need to wear clothes like this. Maybe I need to change and act like this. Maybe I need to be more crazy to be around them and then they'll accept me. Isn't that true in this world? I have to dress a certain way, I have to drive a certain thing, I have to live in a certain neighborhood, and then these people will accept me. That's not how it is with the Lord. He, by His grace, made you accepted. He accepted you in the beloved by His own work. He made you His child by His grace, and He accepts you by His grace. Because if you think you have to do something to be accepted. What can you do to be accepted? But you hear it all the time. Well, I'm good enough. He'll have to accept me. No. You can actually be super bad. And because of Jesus, you're accepted. We are accepted. If you don't realize that you are accepted because of Jesus then you'll think, man, what do I need to do to really partake? I've got to do some more. No, he made you accepted in the beloved. That changes things. It gets things out of your hands and into his hands. If there was a way for you to have eternal life and to get good with God, Jesus would not have had to come. And that's why it's to the praise of the glory of His grace. In other words, it's His grace, not your works and your abilities. In other words, He wants you to get your attention off of all of your works and realize the work He did. Because then you recognize, if you're thinking it's about you, then you're going to be like, man, did I do good enough? And you're going to tiptoe in before the Lord and think, have I done good enough yet? And he's like, hey, you're accepted. And you're like, I, have I done enough? No, you're accepted in the beloved by the praise of the glory of his great grace. He made you accepted. He made you accepted. That's good to know because you know what that does? It can strip away a sense of self-righteousness. And it's got to be removed. Because then you'll think you deserve what you get. <clears throat> you don't deserve anything you get from the Lord. You know, when it comes to salvation and that, 
you don't. And Paul even said this about himself. He said, I was the chiefest of sinners. And he said, God set him forth as an example. Why? So he could know that the only way that you're going to be accepted is by your faith in Jesus. He has made you accepted. Well, if you're accepted in the beloved, then you're in. And if you're in, wouldn't it be easier to partake if you're in the group? You understand what I'm talking about? If you're in the group and you're in and you're accepted based on Him, based on Him, then that'll free you from having to try to do certain things. I gotta, I gotta do this or I've gotta do that. No, you're accepted because of Jesus. That is really good to know because it'll lift a weight off of you of trying to be a worker to be pleasing in the sense of, well, he'll accept me. You with me? Now, I do believe this. We can do things that are pleasing and not pleasing to God, but being accepted is a fact of salvation. It is a fact. When you give your life to the Lord, he makes you accepted. Then you come naked before him. You know what I mean by that. I don't mean with, not without clothes, but meaning without like this in my hand, like, you know, I've, you know, I've done a lot. I'm good. You know, I pray a lot. You know, you know, I give a lot. You know, I do this a lot. You know, I help a lot of people. You know, I serve. No, that gets rid of all that. And the basis for your acceptance is Jesus. And he made you accepted in the blood. In other words, God accepts you. He just accepts you. So like if you want to pray, he just accepts you. And if you want to walk with him, he just accepts you. Period. Period. You with me? That's good to know. Because, you know, some people don't come boldly to the throne of grace because they don't know if they're really accepted. They don't know if they'll be accepted there. They're not sure if God would accept them based on what they've done. But it's through Christ you are accepted. Turn with me to Colossians, the first chapter. And I'm talking about partaking. And if you look at the verses after, he talks about being accepted, and then he talks about all the redemption that's yours. Deliverance from spiritual death. A good walk with God. Healing, health, strength, provision. It's yours. Notice this in Colossians, the first chapter. Paul had been praying for this group of people that they would stand in God's will. That they would know God's best for them. And so as he's praying, he makes this interesting statement right here in the 12th verse. Giving thanks to the Father... Giving thanks to the Father. He just said, you know, we need to give thanks to the Father. Well, we should already give thanks to the Lord because he made us accepted. But he didn't just make you accepted. He made you. He also did this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified. 
us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Notice he's made you accepted in the beloved. And not only did he make you accepted before the father and in the beloved, in the family. Man, that's pretty good. We're all part of the family. So he's like, really? Yeah, really. If you're saved, you're part of the family. You're accepted. You're just accepted. Not partially, fully accepted. And then you are not just accepted. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you come in here, but I'll tell you what, you better watch out. Because we've been watching you, and you need to take a shower or something, because spiritually you are a mess. No, he not only accepted us, it said he qualified you. Isn't that cool? Like if most of us know what we're qualified for as we move along in life. You, you start, you get out of high school, you start moving along, and you start realizing, I can't qualify for that car. I can now qualify for that car. Or I can get it, but the interest is going to get me coming and going. Then we start going, I can get an apartment. Hey, I can get a condo. I can get a house. I can't get that house. We kind of start knowing what we're qualified for as we move along. Isn't that true? And we kind of function in life like that. And maybe we lived around parents who said, well, you're not good enough for that. You do this and you can have that. And so we might live in certain things where we have to qualify. And then here we start reading this book from God, and he just said, I qualified you for a condo? No, my father's house are many mansions. Whoa, really? Yeah, you get the big house. He qualified you for all kinds of stuff. He qualified you. So from a natural standpoint, you might realize I don't qualify for everything. But from a spiritual standpoint, you've got to realize it's not you qualifying yourself. He has qualified you. He made you accepted. And then, he didn't just make you accepted. He qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Isn't it interesting? We see an expression of God uh, and how he does things when we see the story of the prodigal child. When he's out there doing his thing, living, wasting, riotous living, sleeping around. And it didn't say God was just boiling. He was ticked off. No, I don't think he was, the father was pleased because he knew it was hurting the son. He knew that that would bring his son to an emptiness that and, and and would rob him of everything. And that's I believe that's one reason why God set the law up in the Old Testament, not because he was just so mad. Now don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't do this. He knew it would hurt them if they did it. So he was trying to help. We're not mean to our kids when we say, hey, no, don't go play on the freeway. Huh. <sighs> I'll teach them a lesson, let them go play on the freeway. No, they do it 
out of an expression of love. God put those rules in to help us. And that prodigal son took his inheritance and he went out there. He lived in riotous living. And finally, he kind of came to himself and thought, I'm broke. God wants, or my father wants me to partake. He, he used to allow me to eat the best, live off the best. I had everything the best. It's gone. I'm going to go back. I, and here's the thing. His mentality was such that he wanted to come back and just eat what the slaves ate. He didn't know if he would be accepted in the beloved like his brother. But he thought, if I come back, then I'll just have my place. And it'll be with the servants. But at least I'll have more than what I got here. And so he goes back. And his father's been watching. His father knew where he was at. And he just accepted him right where he was. He, he went and met his son, and he gave him a feast. But he also gave him a garment, but he gave him a ring. The ring wasn't just a ring. You know, it wasn't like, you know, you looked on Costco.com and like, that's a ring. Or you went to Zales and got a ring and said, here's a ring. Cool, he got me a ring. You got a ring for, what would you get for Christmas? I got a ring. No, this is totally different. Back then, a ring like this from somebody who's a ruling family, somebody who's got something, it's like an insignet ring. It meant something. Like if a king had a ring and they would melt wax, you know, everybody's watched those movies. They pour the wax and they seal it with their ring. And that was the mark that endorsed it. That ring he got meant his privileges were back. He brought him back into the full place. The father qualified him. The father accepted him. He got accepted based not on his deeds, because his deeds were not what was right. But he didn't say, well, you're going to have to work on this a little while. No, he totally accepted him. And what, what are we talking about? We need to freely receive. We need to know these things so we can partake of whatever we want. I mean, some people need comfort. You've been qualified. Some people need peace. He's given peace. You're qualified. He's accepted you. But if you're thinking, I'm not accepted or I'm not qualified, you're thinking wrong. You're thinking like that prodigal son. And the father said, no, no, no. I've taken care of it. I mean, if you need strength over whatever or you need health or life, he's qualified you to have it. He's made you accepted in the blood. I mean, if he put that story in there to express this, he wants you to know the same type of thing. You've been qualified to partake. You have been made accepted in the beloved based on him and not you. Somebody's like, you mean I could just reach my hand out there and just grab that off the table and eat and... You know, some people might be timid about it. I'm give it a try, but I'm afraid I might get slapped. He's not going to slap your hand. He's the one who made you accepted in the beloved. And sometimes, you know, like this guy, he came crawling back, and the father's like, "Woohoo, party!" And he still had that old mentality. You with me? Sometimes we need to 
be more not just thinking about laying aside our old ways of sin or wrongdoing. Maybe we should lay aside some thinking that would try to disqualify us and make us walk around like worms when God has never seen you that way. Well, you don't know what I did. No, I don't. But he made you accepted in the blood. He was the one who qualified you. You know, all these people he qualified and all these people that he accepted were rotten at one time too. Lost just like we were at one time too. And so notice, each one of these goes on to talk about having something from God. Notice, notice he qualified us. The Father qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is whatever you need in life. Whether it's spiritual Mental, physical, it's been paid for. And he has pre-qualified you. You need to think maybe natural, you know, don't go, well, I'm just going to go get the biggest billion-dollar home. You may not qualify. But in God, don't disqualify yourself and say, well, do I have the faith for that? He said, if you can believe, it's possible. He's qualified you and given you an inheritance. Matter of fact, Paul prayed that the people would know their inheritance. Turn with me to Matthew 10. Matthew 10. He prayed that they would know this inheritance. You know, maybe we should just relax. Instead of trying so hard, maybe we should just act like what he said is so. Maybe instead of trying to muster some faith, why don't you just act like what he said is so? I wonder if that is actually faith, to just act like it's so, what he said. Instead of squinting and grunting, when I'm working up faith, faith really is just acting on what he said, like it's so. It's just acting like what he said is so. Matthew 10, verse 8. Notice this. Well, let's, let's go back to verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, Raise the dead, cast out demons, or drive off things that bind people. Freely you have received. Now, now freely go give it. See, God wants you to walk in what's provided for you. Why? So you have a testimony to be able to give to other people. Let's, let's look at a stretch of verses in John. I believe we'll close in these. John, the first chapter. John 1. Freely you have received, freely give. These are people who had encounters with the Lord. Once they had these encounters with the Lord, 
And that's really what we're talking about. First, you know, or in your life, I shouldn't say first, but just in your Christian life, don't forget to enjoy the Lord. Don't forget He made it so you could enjoy Him. He made it that way. I said He made it that way. He made you accepted in the blood. He made you able to partake. And so we should. And out of that, then we have something to also share with people. And I would say this, we need to be careful sometimes. Just like he made you able to partake, and just like he made you accepted in the beloved, don't disqualify yourself from being able to do a tremendous work for the Lord. I've heard this over the years. Well, I just don't know what to say. I just don't know that much. And then people disqualify themselves. Here's an interesting thing right here. This, this will set you free. Now, I don't want you to just run up and jump and shout and everything. Let me finish. John 1, there's two stretches right here of, of, of scriptures that I want to look at. The 40th verse, John 1, 40. Um, maybe we'll go back to 35. Again the next day, John uh, stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus, he walked, and uh, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. So these guys have come and have now had an experience with Jesus. Here is something that's real interesting. He first found his own brother, Simon. So they left, this guy left, found his own brother, Simon. And he said, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. How many people could do a great work if they would just bring people to where they could find Jesus? don't have to lead them to the Lord. You don't have to have a fancy sermon. You just know, hey, I got something good. Why don't you come? Come to church. 
then you don't have to figure out what to preach. You don't have to figure out what to say. I mean, you could say something like, hey, we could go out to eat after or something like that, but I don't even want to complicate this. He didn't even tell him, we can go out to eat after if you'll come. He just said, come and see. And he didn't, and notice he said, so he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. You know, what I find interesting is he did his part to bring him, and then Jesus did his part to catch him. Pretty simple. It's on him. I said, pretty simple. So, hey, just come. You don't even have to tell people stuff. Just come. Boy, could we really do a work just, just to bring people? Because they're going to hear the truth. Notice the very next verse is another person. Notice this. The following day, verse 43, uh, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Isn't it interesting? First, the individual had an encounter. Then they just brought somebody. And he said, follow me. Remember, he told them, come and see. Notice in Philip, uh, verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law also and in the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So notice he has an encounter and then he just said, we found him and he wants to bring him. We could be bringers and be doing a tremendous work in the kingdom. Not, not telling people how to get saved. You could do that. Not praying for them. You could do that. Not prophesying to them. You could do that. But just bringing them could do a tremendous work in the kingdom. We're on a mission. He wants you to partake. And he wants you to freely give. All you have to do to give is say, Come and see. Check it out. Check it out. Any of these terms are fine. Come check it out. Come. Trying to make it easy. He did. Here's what's interesting. And Nathaniel said to him, verse 46. So he said, hey, come check it out. He wanted to bring him. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, don't those people believe this? Well, what about this? You ever invite somebody and they're like, well, wait a minute. That's exactly what happened here. Philip said to him, come and see. He didn't even try and teach him anything. Well, do those people down there believe in speaking in tongues where you go? Do they believe in like laying hands on the sick and stuff like that? Are those those people that, you know, like hand an offering basket around? Are those those people like some, some of them raise their hands? Do they, do they ever cry in their service? Do they believe in pre, mid, post? Do they read from the King James only? Hey, listen, 
come and see. Just be a bringer. Just, just come and see. And think of the influence they're having in the kingdom just by bringing. And they didn't even answer the question. Listen, just, just come. You know why? Because when you come, there's an opportunity to experience the Lord. And so he said, just come. Come and see. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, toward him, and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Isn't that cool? <laughs> they just did their part to bring him. And they hadn't even sat in their chairs yet. Service hadn't even started. And he's like, God's already dealing with him. Hey, if he can pre-qualify us and make us accepted, what's he going to do for other people? He can get them in the parking lot. He can get them in the car. He can get them. You, I mean, I don't know how many times this happened. You know, somebody was going to bring somebody and they were talking to him about this or whatever. And then I got up or somebody got up and just shared the exact same thing they were talking about the night before. And now all of a sudden they're hearing it the next day. They're like, that's exactly what we were talking about the night before. We were actually talking about that on the car on the way here. Wow, that was wild. Yeah, the Lord can do that. He'll get them on the way. He'll get them when they're there. Notice verse 48, Nathaniel, who had all these questions, and he didn't even preach anything to him. He just said, come and see. Just come. He just brought him. Nathaniel said to him in verse 48, how do you know me? Jesus said to him, uh, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He's, he all of a sudden is recognizing, I'm having an encounter with the Savior. Verse 49, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He said, you think you got something this morning? Wait till next Sunday. <laughs> you thought this service was good? You wait till next week. You know, though, the whole thing is that with each of them, it started with a one-on-one -on -one encounter. Then that encounter that did something for the individual just compelled them to bring someone. Then out of their bringing, they let the Lord do the work in the individual's life. And I guarantee you, he didn't give a lot to this because I bet you this is how the multitudes ended up coming. But, I mean, you couldn't read the Gospels. How profitable would the Gospels be if Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John just stayed with Nathaniel, bought Fred, and Fred brought Sally? And then Sally came, and man, she was like, whoa! And then Sally went and found her friend, Nikki and Nikki came back and said, Whoa! And then, I mean, you could just go on and on. But it just shows us that people had personal encounters. People lived experiencing the Lord. They made it simple and they just said, Come. And then they let God get them. Because I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to catch a fish with a hook than with your hands. I got this, I got this, I got this. 
God can use a hook. He said he would take and draw the people from the north when Russia and that whole group comes down against Israel for a spoil. He said he'll put a hook in their mouth and draw them. I guarantee you, if he said, go and I will make you fishers of men, he will help us. And he'll deal with the people. All you got to do is say, come. But remember this, don't forget to partake yourself. The Lord has made you that way. Let's finish these verses. Verse, uh, he said, you'll see greater things. Verse 51, and he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open now he has had not he's had an encounter but he's saying listen your life though you've now are following and believing he said is even going to get better he said you're going to see heaven open the angels of god ascending and descending upon the son of man he said you've come to service you've experienced me wait till next week Every week you're going to get something. Something's going to happen in your life. But what is the key? Just being a bringer. But before and at the same time, you need to be a partaker. God doesn't want it just to be the new people who partakes. He wants you to partake. He wants the new people to partake. He wants everybody to partake.